A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both players have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. There's only one place to start, lads, and that is the Leash Offaly Kildare lockdown. Whether you like it or not, um, we're going to start there because this obviously affects GEA in all three counties. Um, like, I mean, it was Friday morning when people in Leash Offaly Kildare were getting word that we were going to be, you know, our travel restricted and uh, everything that comes along with it. And then the Taoiseach came on um, later on that evening on the RTE News and then the GEA didn't waste any time. They issued uh, uh, a statement saying in response to the up- updated public health advice, which has been announced specifically for counties Leash, Offaly and Kildare, the GEA um, and the Camogie Association and the LGFA have announced the cessation of all activity in these counties at all levels, in all codes, from midnight tonight until further notice. So that was midnight on Friday night. Funnily enough, in Leash, there was teams tugged out, ready to go on Friday evening, and they were pulled by the Leash County Board. So a friend of mine tugged out with the great Cullen players, um, ready to go, and that was pulled. I don't really know why it was when it came in from midnight that night. It's, again, probably just a GEA being, you know, overly cautious. I don't know. There's people very annoyed in Leash, Kildare and Offaly, especially in Leash, lads, because Leash is the lowest kind of um, of the three counties, Kildare being the worst. Offaly, not too too much worse off than Leash. The cases in Leash are dropping. All the GEA, um, all the GEA cancelled. That seems to be the go-to thing. We had Sean Fleming, who's a TD. Um, he's from Leash, from Mount Melick. He says there's dozens of matches planned in every county involving hundreds of players this weekend and there's some outbreaks in those areas. I'm involved in GA myself and I know players who don't want to go to matches because they're coming home to live with their parents who are vulnerable. I know officials who don't want to attend matches because of the same reason and we have to take a proactive step on that. And what pissed me off reading that was why was there nothing from Sean Fleming and from other people in power about the meat factories. It all seemed to be, let's close everybody else down who are trying their best to follow the regulations. The meat factories are not following the regulations. I would have liked to see Sean Fleming saying, we're embarrassed, we're, we're sorry 
for not heeding the, co- the, the, the warning signs and for not looking at other countries who had these same issues and for not listening to other t- TDs and um, government officials who had flagged this. We're really, really sorry. And now you have to suffer the consequences. That's what I would like Sean Fleming to have tweeted on Friday morning, Colin, instead of the usual, let's get rid of the GEA, let's close that down and let's lock everybody down and you all get punished for our um, inaction. You've hit that there because do you know why you're talking about that game got called off? Was it Friday or whatever? Um, before the midnight deadline, yeah. it seems like you know the GA are are acting sort of they're preempting things and they don't want to be the ones caught out. Like you know, they don't want to be the ones who are ruining it for everyone because we're always talking about personal responsibility and stuff like that. So the GA are going out of their way to yeah. not be that organization or not be the the place where where it could end up spreading things. Whereas like when, when you actually have a very clear instance of who's to blame here where, where this cluster is it's not just like yeah you've ruined it for everyone else it's like as you I think you tweeted about it it's like close down the sport that's the that's the answer and like I can imagine the the frustration like it is it's almost like people are joking about building a wall and stuff and like it feels that way like I'm just surprised that you haven't started you know covering games down in Kerry and stuff just to get yourself get yourself out of there yeah well there's checkpoints like I mean they have checkpoints but I don't think they have any legal entitlement to stop you they can tell you to turn back but I'm not sure you have to heed that warning if you don't want to, because it's not um, in law. I was reading a piece in the Irish Times. Anyway, I don't really want to go down that road anyways, because, like, I mean, who's winning in that scenario? You know, mm. it's, I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. At the, and there is one of these meat factories, Carol's Cuisines. And this like this is mind boggling, uh, Connor. Um, this was on the RT News last night. So that's back open today. The other three meat factories which have not followed the guidelines, who have not been safe enough, who have put everybody at risk. Are, are closed and rightly so. Um, the Carol's Cuisine in Tullamore is open today. So what they did was that they tested all their, um, all their workers, 210 of them yesterday. And it takes three days for the results to come back and they've sent them all into work this morning. Now, is there anything more idiotic than that? So in three days time, if even one of those tests is positive, that person that was positive has worked with his co-workers 210 for the next three days. So that test is a complete and utter waste of time that they went through yesterday. Like, can you even get your head around this? And then you have Sean Fleming on um, Sarah McInerney's show on RT this morning saying, we would hope that that meat factory would voluntarily close down. Close the bloody thing down. Yeah, it's um that 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 I think I saw I think I saw you tweet the bully actually about the the Carol's factory. That was the first thing I saw about it. So one of a number of alarming things I've seen in relation to meat factories this weekend. To be honest, there was another um there was another piece by I think it was Ella McSweeney um in the Guardian. I don't know if you saw that months ago. Was well, this detailed the the conditions that were in meat factories? But this yeah. this it's obviously circulated a lot this weekend as well. And like I have to say, it had, it it opened my eyes to it because I wasn't aware of it and the and the conditions, and the conditions for the the conditions that are so kind of um the the there's it's so the, the the huge potential there for the virus to spread. And just reading that kind of made me very alarmed and very alarmed again again at some of the stuff that you mentioned there about about um, about the testing and, and people being able to go to work and and the lack of authoritative action i suppose from the government rather than you know asking for them to close down as opposed to actually taking the initiative and closing them down and again that like that like maybe it's because of the circles that i i you know live in or follow on social media or whatever but i seem to be nearly seeing as much talk about the ga on friday and saturday uh, yeah. in, 
Kidder leashing off me as I was about the meat clusters or the clusters in the meat factories. And I was thinking to myself, where are the priorities right? Are they the, the priorities right and how they're dealing with in those three counties? But again, what can you say? Just you've kind of nailed, hit the nail on the head there about how frustrating it must be for 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 everybody involved. And again, it's sport and, and, and the GA in this context, I suppose, that seems to be the focal point, whereas it probably should be elsewhere. Well, well, that's it. Like, I mean, I, I, I was tweeting about this on, I think it was Friday, and I was saying like 200 people are allowed at a GEA match. And like, they're very worried about this. And you had Dr. Glynn and all these, they wouldn't raise it up to 500 in massive stadiums that they were worried about people going together. They were worried about uh, people congregating outside. Yet they allow 300 factory workers work indoors with no ventilation because the the temperature is to be kept at a certain degree so that the food won't you know go off they're allowed work and these factories haven't been complying with the ppe um uh equipment all that kind of stuff and they wouldn't allow gea now a lot of people came back to me and says you can't compare a, a sport uh, a hobby with um, you know, something that's essential like food. And I'm not comparing the two. They're completely different. But I am comparing the 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 authorities and the HSE saying that one is not safe, 200 outdoors, but the other is, you know, the other goes unchecked indoors. I just can't get my head around it. It makes no sense how these meat factories are getting a free pass in all of this. And the, the obvious answer is the the power they hold, you know, with money that they, they're that they give and things like that. There has to be something. There's no, there's no doubt about that. A knock-on effect for St. Lomans is that they played at the weekend and they won one, they won 17 uh, points to 1-8. Shandona they beat. They, they, their selector, Kieran Kilmurray, um, was the manager for the night because their manager, Declan Kelly, is from Offaly. <laughs> the poor man was locked out in Offaly, couldn't even go across into... into um, into Westmead to play like whether he would have chanced it or not I don't know but like generally people want to do the right thing you know and I think people can pass these checkpoints if they want but I don't think it's in people's nature um, to do that matches went ahead in leash on Thursday night before this all kicked off and there was a shock um, Ballerone, um, Ballerone Abbey, that's Ballerone and Abelique's, they beat St. Joseph's uh, with a last-minute goal. Um, it was Dermot, Whe- Dermot Whelan's uh, last-minute goal. Interestingly, J- St. Joseph's have, haven't been going great the last uh, the last few years, but they have Joe Higgins as their manager, and they have Mick Dempsey, who obviously left the Kilkenny hurling setup. He's in with Joe Higgins. So this is seen as the dream, um, dream team management team. So that's a huge setback for St. Joseph's, who are leading most of the way through the second half. Um, but they'll have a second uh, bite at the cherry anyway, so um, they might not be too. They need, well, they need to get back onto the onto the road again. Big win of the weekend is Ken Mayer again, lads. This is this is like Fergie time for Ken Mayer. They leave it late. Their first three games, they're in a group of death. Doctor Croaks, Terence Ratleys, and Temple No, because that's a local uh, derby. They were out Stephen O'Brien. They beat Doctor Croaks, and I'm looking down through the Doctor Croaks team, Con, and this was the, this was them at pretty much full strength. Um, Kenmare Shamrocks came back and again that man Sean O'Shea with three late points to, to win it for them by a point and like the was Dan McCurphy scored 1-4 from play and I think his goal in the second half just really summed it up like you know Kenmare were just at a different level I think for the semi-final like the ball was in the fullback is favours to catch it but he's under a lot of pressure from a big strong full forward it gets broken down there's a Crooks player in to win it and then Dan McCarthy just dives in, flicks it away from him. The keeper is then out to get it. 
and Dan yeah. McCarthy slides in in front of the keeper and gets it in. It was just like, and this is this is when it mattered most. They won by a point, and it was just somebody who wanted it more that got there. But like you talk about Sean O'Shea, and then you talk about the big win at the weekend. I think the big win was Father Breen Park, and that that scenic shot as Sean O'Shea is hitting his free, and there's a lake in the background, and the sun setting yeah. on top of the mountains. Oh, it was just it was fairy tale stuff. How have we not seen this Ken Mir pitch before? It's always been like Kilcar's old pitch. You always see that picture floats up on Twitter every now and then, but we've never seen Ken Mayer's um, pitch. Uh, it's absolutely picturesque. Mm. And like, do you know if Ken Mayer go on to win the, the, the club championship? Like that should be a, an immortal photo now with Sean O'Shea just lining that up for seven minutes of the injury time gone. Like it was, oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, a big shout out to DJ Brennan, who I was down at his wedding recently, a good friend of mine. He's the Ken Mayer uh, manager. Um, so there, I was telling him there'll be a statue for him in Ken Mayer uh, town if he wins that one, because they play Austin Stacks. And obviously, I, like I said, Austin Stacks versus Killarney Legion. They beat Killarney Legion. James who was sent off. I said that was a Killarney Derby, which was absolutely stupid of me because I went to college in Tralee and I know right well Austin Stacks is a Tralee club. So it'll be Ken Mayer versus Austin Stacks in the final of that one. So I, I, I'm more interested in the in the Kerry Championship at the moment, um, Connor, because it's at the semi-final final stages. And this is usually the stage we land back into club season after the inter-county ends, the All-Ireland final. You do a week or two kind of post-All-Ireland, then you're into county semi-finals and finals. I suppose the, these group matches don't really capture the, the national kind of interest, I suppose. Until now, it's but like the storylines in Kerry have been so good, and and just like at this stage, like normally this stage in Kerry will be played closer to you know obviously after the championship is ended. So at this stage, you're probably keeping an eye on you know what what are the clubs that are might challenge for all Ireland honours, and obviously whoever comes out of Kerry is is top of that list. And just kind of looking like yourself, I was just looking at the Crokes team, and I saw all the familiar names, and I just wonder then like is it a case that like they're are they finally on the way in that, that, that these lads have kind of have, have been carrying the can for so long? Even though I did notice that uh, year man, uh, I'll say year man, I know I've, I've, we've mentioned him a lot in the podcast, but Tony Brosnan still seemed to be producing the goods with a, with a good few points from play. But uh, but this this Khmer, like the, the momentum they'll get from having beaten, like, first of all, Temple No in the local derby with the last minute goal and to beat a side as established as Crokes, like what it'll do for their confidence going in against um in against Dax for uh, you know um, in the final so I'm just wondering you probably know more uh, Willie knowing the manager is Stephen O'Brien going to be back for that or how, how are they fixed I'm not sure exactly what his injury was he had an injury going into the Temple No um, game um, so I don't know how serious it is they're keen to keep these things I was trying to get Stephen on the show recently and he said because I'm carrying a knock um, I won't come on or whatever. So I'm not sure. I presume he, it doesn't, didn't sound as se- too serious that he wouldn't be back for it. So we'll keep our eye out um, for that one, definitely. Nafina beat Kula in Dublin, lads. And I see this and I just see, get a shock. Nafina at hurling? What, what's going on here? And I don't know, just because of all the money that's been pumped into hurling in Dublin, you see teams like Nafina and St. Bridget's who got to the final, you know, coming out of it. T- clubs you associate with football now excelling in hurling. They beat them... Uh, by six points, and this was a last. This was cool getting a late goal by Sean Moran from a free, which was surprised absolutely no one. He's brilliant at that. Um, but they were both out of the group. That's the only kind of caveat to this one, Conan. So we don't know, you know, cooler double All Ireland winners out of the group already playing Nafina. 
what was that cooler dressing room like before going out into the field? Like, did they want to say, let's keep these whippersnappers down and they were all up for it and we read something into it? Or did they go, look, lads, we're true. You know, we bigger fish to fry. Go out and enjoy Go out and enjoy the game. We just we just don't know what to make of this. But uh, listen, it's a, still a huge win for Nafina. Mm, and like, Kula brought David Tracy off as well. Always looked like a precautionary thing, which I was thinking they might not do in a, in a game that really mattered. But yeah. The only thing I'd say about that is that like Nafina were five points up at half time. So, you know, if Kula wanted a, a rocket up their backside, that was it. Like that was going to be the one that was going to get them going. Because like even if it didn't matter, you don't want to be five points down to Nafina. And when you're Kula, you don't want to lose any game. So I thought they'd come out all guns blazing in the second half. But but it was Colin Curry and Donald Burke just like firing like all, all day in the second half as well for Nafina. And I don't know how much to read into it, but it's a big statement for Nafina. When you go through, like I was going through their Twitter account looking for clips or whatever, and there's just so many teams, there, you know, the, so many minor games that are taking place, so many junior intermediate matches that are that are unfolding. Like you can see, like with the money being pumped in the Dublin, how a team like this can start springing up and start competing with Kula. Yeah, they're a huge club now in Afina, actually. Yeah, they they're definitely are now that they're a uh, strong um, dual club. There's some comebacks at the weekend too, lads. So Patrick's well is the big standout one. This one was on RTE. And like, I mean, they're four points down and the clock is ticking into injury time. They're gone. You know, like, I mean, they, they, there's no doubt about it. They score 1-1. One, one. Um, Aaron Galan with an absolutely outrageous catch. And one of those brilliant catches that when he came down from the catch, he had almost turned himself in, in, you know, in the direction of the goals and he didn't break a stride and absolutely buried it. And I'm like, Jesus, lads, of all people to watch in the last, co- I suppose when you, if there were a goal down, they might have watched him closer. But when you're four points up, you're, you, you almost switch off and go, ah, well, look, they need two scores. They're not going to, they're not going to get that. I don't know what was going through, through their heads, but it was definitely, geez, of all ple- people to watch at that last kind of, you know, a few minutes, it was Aaron Galan. Yeah, I, I, I was watching it for a little while on a Saturday evening, Willie. There didn't seem to, and I just saw the clip back again this morning before we came on, there didn't seem to be a load of bodies back um, around Aaron Galan when, when he got the goal. It was fairly just kind of contested the ball. Now, an unbelievable catch, but contested the ball with his marker turned. And it was as nearly as if, you know, when you're running through on goal, somebody tries to tackle you and it has the opposite effect of not stopping you, but giving you more momentum. It was oh, yeah. like you got that sort of a boost towards goal and then, then knocked it home. And But I don't know, did, like, was there complacency there? Like, because... Uh, like I was earlier on in the game, Aaron Galan, um, he wasn't firing all cylinders. There was one one bit in particular he tried to take a free. It was blocked down by the hurl about, you know, just obviously the required distance back and then had to be taken, or not the required distance back, had to be taken again and then he put it wide. So he didn't seem to be firing all cylinders until then the end and he gets the he gets the goal that kind of the kind of puts them through. But um, I know you're not going to see you know, you're not going to see a goal as good as that. And I'd like to think that if they come up against Aaron Galan again, they won't make the mistake of just leaving them on his own, you know, with even though they were four points up. And I think it was the clock had ticked to nearly 62 and there was only three minutes injury time. So uh, just shows you the danger of kind of uh, play to the finish, as, as your coaches will always tell you. Yeah, yeah. So Patrick's well into the semis. That draw um, was enough to get them in there. I think Dune now have to um, wait and see or they have to play another game maybe into quarterfinals or something like that. I'm not 100% sure about doing, but I know Patrick Swell are straight into the semifinals. St. Eunan's had a big comeback against Kildacar. They look, this is a, a, a funny game. This was the one on Friday night. Wouldn't have been a classic 1-9 one nine each. Paddy McBrady scored 1-4. But like they were 1-9 to four points down 
in the early stages of the second half. And then uh, Unions made a comeback. And let's be honest, Conan, in club football, if you were one in Donegal club football, if you were one nine to four points down, <laughs> you're gone. This is this is why it's such a surprising result because the way both teams drop players back behind the ball, and it is counter-attacking football in Donegal, let's be honest about it. You have to play that. Um, it's like if you can't beat them, we'll join them. One nine to four is almost like a twenty point lead in leash club football, for example. <laughs> one nine is like hurling scores in, in Donegal <laughs> football. Um, yeah, like that. Like that is like you never rarely see a Donegal team, especially a team as experienced. Um, like as Kilcar giving away. Well, what's that? A an eight point lead. Like yeah. you, you assume, like once a team is two goals ahead, that's it. It's going to be shut out, and even if nobody scores for the rest of the game. That'll that'll happen. But I used to work in Donegal actually, and um, St. Unions had a habit of doing this. Like you know, there were a few times where they were sort of hanging uh, onto group stage spots. They were hanging on the quarterfinal spots, and they always, always just made it through to the semi-final. And there was a whole thing. It was like every team was so wary of them. Like you don't you don't rule out St. Unions. And you know, Rory Cavanaugh was in his prime back then and stuff like that. So he was always sort of a, the personification of their comebacks. Like it was almost like he was dragging them up the pitch, and they just. They seem they still have that sort of bit of magic and, and strength where the momentum just carries them towards towards goals. And maybe they just have that arrogance as well where they believe that they're they're never out of it. Maybe, maybe that's it. I saw um, some of the highlights of this. Uh, Sean Patton made a mistake uh, from a high ball. Maybe that's starting to become a weakness of him. It should have been a goal. Um, it nearly was. Porrick McGettigan's winning goal, well, drawing goal to get the really big score of the game. Um, geez, did you see this? It was from an absolutely impossible angle. I, I, I see this looking at this. I'm saying like, there's, you wouldn't even think there's a goal on there. He must be a soccer player or something, Conan. Did you see it? Yeah, yeah. Like It was all unbelievable carry on. But like that's... Again, like there's a lot of soccer players in Donegal, goals, so I was maybe assuming that this person, like he was. Yeah, no, he must have been. It was just out of absolutely nothing. It's like one of these ones from his wrong side that he just whipped across. You know, maybe even from a type of angle that David Clifford scored against against Monaghan yeah. that time in that in that match. That type of an angle, but not off his hands. Kind of pulled along it on the ground. Just didn't see a goal kind of there at all. Um, in the Longford Senior Championship, another comeback, Colin Kill came back from eight points down to draw 11 points all with Mulna Hapta. And we know how good they are, the Leinster champions in 2018. So they were eight points up and 11 all as well. Looks like it was a cagey game. Um, Colin Kill are able to come back from eight points down. It's a bit, little bit incredible um, as well. The matches on TV... Castle Baron Briefy, this was a good game, Connor. I thought, like, I mean, a local derby, good game. Looked like there was more than two hundred surrounding the field, as far as I would be concerned. And they, they definitely weren't, they definitely weren't spaced out all that well. But we won't even uh, give out too much about that. It was Rob Henley's too late freeze kind of gave them the insurance, the insurance points and this. But in, in fairness, his too late freeze put them four up, and you're thinking that's it, that's the game secure. And then Castle Bar get two points, and then James Durkin has an absolutely dreadful miss off his left foot. And um, it's a miss an inter-county player just simply cannot be, you know, cannot uh, miss like that. Um, and that kind of knocked the wind out of their sails. He ends up getting sent off a couple of minutes later. Yeah, yeah. And like, to be fair, you mentioned that they went four points up there. And like, uh, there was I don't think there was any stage during the game. It was really nip and tuck, you know, the, 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 the most any team was up until up until that stage was maybe two points, maybe three points at one stage during the first half. But but you mentioned like James Durkin had just got a point um, from playoff his right side before that. So you would have thought the confidence was up, but it was a real, he had to get it. And had to get that. Yeah, he had to get it. And as soon as it was missed, the game was over. And I didn't see what happened. It looks like his, uh, 
whoever was on him niggled him uh, niggled at him at that uh, it was over in the far sideline he, I don't know if he just obviously reacted because there was no complaints to the straight red either no like, and, and there, there was no replay of it either we just have to I don't know whatever yeah. happened over there happened that's it but like a, like a, I like Brafey did really well to win that because like, I, I thought I think it was early in the second half I think Danny Kirby I think might have scored four points from play from midfield he cleaned and, out Luan didn't he yeah and I think it was one stage where after one of those points I think it could have been early in the second half and Casabar really starting to get momentum, and that was their home pitch. So you could see the stand in McHale Park in the background. Yeah. That's where that's where Casabar played their home games. I thought they were really going to carry it through. But you mentioned Maddie Ruan there; he got a point. Shamie O'Shea got a point, and Aiden actually went into full forward and got a, a fist pass the ball over the bar. And I think he got a lovely one at the outside of his left from the forty-five as well. So yeah. compared to Bravey, their their county lads. Like Matty Ruan had a tough day against Danny Kirby, but he sat, he stood up later on, and the O'Shea stood up later on and kind of really dragged them home. So, like that group is fierce, interesting. Now they're they're both on um, Brafie and Casabar both on two Westport and Charlestown drew in the other game, which means that Westport on three, the other two are on Casabar Brafie are on two, and Charlestown are on one. So there's like it's uh, the the final round of games now are in two weeks time. So that's um, that's all the play. Like it's the group of death. It was named the group of death in Mayo, and it's really living up to its re- reputation. Like you could, like not to dismiss Charlestown because they're quite good too, but you could easily pick one of Casabar, Brafey, and Westport as county title winners. So like, so if you say if you say Brafey play um, Charlestown, they play Charlestown. You say Brafey beat them, so they're on four. So then the winners, whoever wins between. Castlebar and Westport will go through so Westport could find themselves out after a great start yeah if Westport draw they're guaranteed to go through yeah uh, because they'll be on four points but Westport drew at the weekend they beat Brafey by a point so Castlebar have to go That that's a neutral that's at a neutral venue actually the last games are all at a neutral venue so obviously there's more pressure on, on Castlebar but like the carrot there for for Westport to beat like you know beat their local rivals knock probably the favourites after Ballantubber to win the county title out of, you know, out of the competition at the group stage, probably the first time Castlebar went out in the group stage and I don't know how long. There's a huge carrot there and like Westport drew at the weekend, but they're they're building a lot of serious momentum. Like they've they've been a common team for 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 a few years now. So I still think Castlebar will get through. I still think they'll just have enough to do it, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if Westport end up dumping them out. No, they're they're the Castlebar. I don't know. Like I mean, they, amazingly, they've beaten Currafin in 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 Connacht Club finals. Like I I just don't see it in them. I know they had a brilliant win one night. I was watching it on television against Cross McGlen. Mm. Um, the the year that the that, that was in Kingspan Breffley Park, and then they were hammered in the final. I, I I just look at them when I watch them play and going, how are these? one of the elite teams in the country. They never really, I don't know what it is about them. They just never, I, I maybe I judge the very top teams off exceptional forwards and they don't seem to have any of them. Well, you probably judge them off. So if you're looking at the best club teams in the last few years, you're probably looking at when Carfin, let's say, or Croaks, when they played, when they played well, they played champagne football, really. Like, you know, they'd, they'd work out, they'd, they'd rack up scores, ridiculous scores. And the more than Carfin did against Uttarard there last weekend. But Carfin were doing that against the good teams too. Car- like Casabar to me, like I get that. Whenever it's, I see them on TV against those teams, it's not anything spectacular they do. But I know from having played against them as well that like they're just very well coached. You know, they they they, they don't really have any stars. Let's say Bar, they've the Paddy Durkin is obviously yeah. say, at the moment. Star. But outside of that, they just have a real a lot of really good club players that are on the fringes. And so I mentioned Danny Kirby earlier. Uh, Neil Douglas, for example, Rory Byrne, who'd be the third choice Mayo keeper, Owen Riley at centre back, who did okay and in no shape for a while yesterday as well. So just they're really tough to play against, um, really fit. As I said, normally um, very well coached, but I think 
no more than I was saying about Crokes earlier. I would say Mitchells now, or Casper Mitchells, are probably, probably their peak was they beat Crossman again that year, and they, do you remember they beat um, Castlebar, or they beat Croke, sorry, in the semi final when Gooch broke his leg that time. Now, Gooch did his knee very badly. I'd say that's their peak. So they're probably a little below their peak. And even if they do get out of the group, Willie, to be honest, I can't see them going the whole way. I'd say uh, Ballantubber, um, Ballina, who I mentioned last week again, who won by 10 points at the weekend, I'd say they're, they're probably ahead of them. Probably ahead of them, right. Shalmaliers um, beat Faith Harriers in the hurling before that. This was a convincing enough um, win. Lee Chin missed the penalty. Um, Lee Chin, funnily enough, was being man-marked by the Shalmaliers centre-forward. Imagine being, imagine being centre-forward on a team and and having to change your role to go back and mark Lee Chin. So, you know, you're not centre-forward anymore. You're actually full-back on Lee Chin. So, listen, he did it. He did a pretty good job on him. Um, obviously, uh, Derek McGrath's influence was all over Faith Harriers. I think they've been avoiding relegation the last few years because Lee Chin was interviewed after the game. Now, he's obviously disappointed losing a championship game, but he was also putting into context, look, we're, we got made a quarter-final. We're not, we were in relegation, you know, last year. So... You know these kind of teams that they're desperate to win the quarterfinal, but if they lose it, they wouldn't be as disappointed as the opposition who were expected to go a bit further, Conan. Mm. Now that um, that Richie Lawler goal was class as well, wasn't it? Like, and I remember Derek McGrath was always talking about that that space in hurling, like you're know, just vacating it and letting somebody from deep run into it, rather than having full for- full forwards coming out with their backs to go. And like Lee Chin throws that little dummy in and just a lovely weighted hand pass, and then Richie Lawler. Doesn't go full Shane Doyle, but he throws it up and just sort of just sort of taps it in over the keeper. No, he, I would say he finessed it. He he almost tricked the goalie by not hitting it hard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was it. Like he just sort of it bounced twice over the line as well. But he was very confident that it was going in. He, he reeled away in celebration and like they look like a team. Yeah, who are playing with no pressure and, and like you know they just look like they're enjoying themselves. And uh, as you say, like maybe it doesn't matter. They don't go the whole way. It's yeah. just like this is like you know survive in advance. And like at the minute we're going well. So the Glyn Barton hammered St. Martin. So that was a big shock in the other quarterfinal. Um, John John Myler is St. Martin's manager. So that's not going to be good for him. And Owlart shocked St. Anne's. St. Anne's uh, were in the final last year. It's, it sounds a bit weird saying Owlart de Bella shocked St. Anne's. But apparently that's kind of the way they are in Wexford um, at the moment. There was some drama in Wicklow club football, lads. There was a point or no point. So Blessington... Um, played Rat New and they're a point down after extra time. These games went to extra time. Um, obviously, there isn't enough room uh, to have replays and this must be, it's definitely not group stages. It's obviously knockout, maybe but it's a back door. I'm not too sure their their structure. Um, so this was a left-footed free from over on the right-hand side. Very inconclusive, the footage um, online. Isn't it great that we're getting footage of all this kind of stuff yeah. now? Um you know what I mean? You, you, with, with all the games on the TV, the different uh, club accounts are tweeting out clips and stuff like that. So it's fantastic. I I would put this down as inconclusive. Uh, David Bootman's free is very hard, very hard to know from the angle. And it was one of these ones that goes up very high over the near post. Mm. And it's very hard to know without having a post a bit higher. I like Initially, I thought it was definitely over, but... He doesn't look too convinced, to be honest. I thought the same, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he's he, he sort of just half-heartedly has his hand in there while, like, the Rath New Boys are going mad. Like, you know, they're, they're sure that it's white. And then when it's not given, when it's given as a white, he doesn't look too pissed off. Like, whereas if I was sure I scored, I would be like, what the? Like, I don't know what his personality is like, but I know I wouldn't just let that go. He just sort of walked away with his head down thinking, 
maybe it was. I always like when it's inconclusive, I always just look at the player to see what he's doing, and he didn't act well enough anyway. <laughs> he didn't act well enough. Now you know it is par for the course with a last minute free for the opposition to go mad saying that oh, it's yeah. why. I with goalkeepers doing that right throughout games, like I think that's a yellow card offence. It is so <laughs> annoying on the on the television. Um, there's no doubt about that. But yeah, that was definitely drama. Uh, Portumna, a bit of a headline out of well look it's not that big of a headline now because I think they're only they're not long up out of senior B is that they've been relegated to finish with 13 men again they got hammered by Castlegar by 421 to 118 Joe Canning got that red card um, against Sarsfields rescinded and he played um, but definitely Portumna are not the are not the the force that they were and obviously four time All-Ireland champions I'd say it's not easy for them to accept you know, the situation that they're in, but they're such a small uh, village, I suppose. How do you keep that going at the level that they got it to, you know? So maybe that was just a once-in-a-lifetime uh, generation for them. Sarsfields beat Douglas in Cork. This is another group of group of debt. So you have, um, you have Middleton, you have Douglas, and you have Sarsfields all in the same, all in the same group. And we, I saw Sarsfields playing against Middleton, and Middleton will be one of the big teams, Connerly Hands Club, and they beat them. And then I was reading now that four of their four of their six um, forwards, um, you have a Hogan, O'Connor, Healy, and Darcy. They were all part of the Sarsfields Under Twenty One team, which won the, the county title last year. And of the other two, another fella, Alan Myers, was a Cork under 21 in 2018. So they, they, the average age of their forward line is, tw- is something like 21. And their selector, Ray Ryan, says the average age is 21. Um, they have bundles of pace, bundles of talent. I know from my own playing days that you don't want anyone running at you. When players start running at you and use pace and use that directness, it's very hard to defend. There you go. I'm calling it, lads. Keep your eye out for Sarsfields um, down in... Down in um, down in Cork, they're definitely somebody to to look out for. Interesting enough, Daniel Kearney, wing forward for for Cork. Um, I think he was robbed of an All Star in 2018. He was outstanding that year. He's playing centre half back for them, so there's a little bit of a rejig. Probably not needed in the forward corner in the forwards corner with all these young uh, exciting forwards there. So they they plonked him in centre back. Yeah, yeah, and I like I saw he was saying that like he um he doesn't see it as a million miles away from when he played uh when he played midfield for Cork. He said he used to hold, and like I was thinking, well, it's probably because I don't watch <laughs> watch enough Ireland, but I remember Daniel Garney is a kind of an all action midfielder. They used to used to get about the park and used to get a few points and stuff like that. But just going back to the the under twenty ones. It's um it's so exciting um like in a club team whatever when you when you when you have an underage team that you can build that like, is yeah. yeah you know like I know like I know in I know in our club and I know in other clubs like that like a senior team for years can be built around a certain generation of players you know what I mean and like by the sounds of things if you're bringing four players from the same under twenty one team not just into the team but into the forward line that's like sixty six percent of your forward line and another guy who played under twenty one the year before or two years before that sounds like that's going to be the backbone, providing they all, you know, stick at it. That sounds like it's going to be the backbone of the Sarsfields team for years to come. That's really exciting. And you could be proved right, Woolly. They'll uh, they'll be they'll be playing this, they'll be playing this back in Sarsfields whenever you win, whenever they win a county title in a few years' time. Big news. Chase, wouldn't that be great if they did? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if, if that's the big news in Tyrone, uh, uh Conan is that McShane McShane is out. He suffered a, a setback in his recovery. Um, obviously that ankle injury and he's out for the championship. Apparently he went for another operation to try and, you know, fix the recurring issue and he's out for the rest of the year. He tweeted anyways, um, 
um, about this in a hospital bed. So we were talking about good and bad news for Tyrone. Maddie Donnelly back, but we'll take Colin McShane off you. So I, it's a weird one, lads, isn't it? Because with the club going on here now, you wonder even the, about the appetite for the intercounty game. It's it's a weird one, isn't it? It seems like it's so far in the future. It seems like potentially might not even happen. You know, and Cotton McShane being out. I don't know. It seems. I don't know. For me, it's almost like I, I I don't know how to describe it. It's not the kind of shock that it, it would have been back as it was earlier in the year when he got injured against Galway that day. Yeah, like see, for me, a lot of watching intercounty football now is you know, thinking about who can eventually compete with Dublin. And, like, that's why I was always sort of rooting behind Tyrone and Donegal because, you know, they were getting there. And I, I got excited for Tyrone, especially with the, the format this year. Like, I know they had to play Donegal, but it was going to be quicker. And I thought, like, you know, Matty Donnelly would be back, but he, he might not be back so long where they'd have to play him full forward anyway. You know, they wouldn't be able to play him out the pitch because he just wouldn't have the same engine, probably. So I thought him and McShane would definitely be full forward. For some reason, I thought Conor McKenna was going to still be hanging around. So I would really, like, getting all in behind Tyrone. And the fact that Dublin were going to come out of Leinster and go straight into a semi-final with potentially Tyrone if they had a one-ulster, then I thought, like, this this could be the year. Like, you know, this, this could be the one. If they're ever going to do it, this could be it. And... And then when you see McShane's gone, it's just immediately, not to write them off completely, but it just sort of flattens your enthusiasm for for the neutral teams you know, that, could, that could potentially come up to that level. And I'm, I'm sure Donegal will be licking their lips and almost worry a little bit for, for Mickey Hart because, you know, he's becoming under more and more pressure every year. And if they go out in the first round this year with no backdoor or anything, you know, I don't know what the, what the feeling will be like in Tyrone. Yeah, well, look, it's hard to know, but they're definitely in trouble with him being out after everything he scored um, after everything he scored last year. So Old Men Part 2, lads, this can be almost a running feature on the show here now. So we have Tommy Freeman at it again. Four points, three from play in a draw against Clontibret, the defending um, county champions. So, like, I mean, that's an incredible... Um, I know three points doesn't sound like a lot, but in 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 cagey games in Monaghan, you know that's that's a very impressive um, performance. He was meant to be outstanding. Bally Bay ha- had a big win, and Scotstown had a big win. So Clontibret, um, one of the top three, were were held again. Um, and probably the big standout performance from the old men was Colin McFadden. I didn't even realise McFadden was still playing. To be honest, he plays with St Michael's. And they won one fourteen to fourteen. Again, this is senior intercounty. Colin McFadden must be forty at this stage. If he's not forty, he's forty um, this year. He scored one nine, um, one four from play, four frees, and one from a from a forward mark. Um, I'd say McFadden looks about fifty at this stage. He looked about forty ten <laughs> years ago. <laughs> so imagine what he looks what he looks like still scoring one nine now. It's it's ridiculous shooting. You're not going to have a hope with the Masters, will you, in a couple of years' time when all these players just start coming in? <laughs> yeah, well, he could play over at Donegal or defending Masters champions, you know. You know, the Masters championship was called off due to the coronavirus. That bloody championship ran for the whole year anyway. It was a ridiculous championship. I'm not messing. I'm. It went from the start of April until the end of September. Do you ever hear the bloody like with men over 40, most of them with families and most of them kind of at the stage where, Jesus, wouldn't a, wouldn't a weekend blitz do us? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And, they're, and they're dragging the arse out of it for about seven months of the year. Like I'd lost complete interest in it by the time the like, I went on holidays for the for the for the end of it. Um, and I was really interested at the start of it. But yeah, McFadden, he'll be he, he should be next year. He will be underage. 
overage for the Donegal Masters. So fair play to him for that. Yeah, so Colin Parkinson wants a condensed season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, imagine that. Like, I mean, this is it, and you're obsessed with the intercounty season. I actually felt I was going to send through a text and say this season has to be shortened, and I was like, Jesus Christ, relax, stop. This is it. You've enough. You've enough to be on with on your plate without campaigning for the master season to to be to be shortened or whatever. But anyways, listen, we will leave it there, lads. We'll come back with a newspaper review. There's some good stuff in it um, about the Sean Boylan documentary. I don't really know Jim anymore. Me and him were like best friends when, when we played, you know. He's seen the light of Jesus and uh, I'm still like fighting the devil, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll start off with the Sunday Independent on the newspaper review. As usual, it's the strongest um, for for GEA. And we'll start off with Colm O'Rourke. The headline on this one is Not So Splendid Isolation Continues. It accompanies a picture of him with his daughter, Elaine, um, Sinead O'Sullivan, and his wife, Patricia, at the match between Simonstown Gales and Screen. That was the one on television last weekend. And he says, It's difficult to see how attendances at matches can have a direct effect on reschools. Um, reopening and uh, to be honest it's one of his more boring pieces I would have thought lads it's a I don't know the the kind of writing pieces about the 200 to 500 feels like so long ago you know they obviously had decided earlier in the week to to write about that but I just found there was nothing in it that hadn't been done to death um, kind of at that stage and very rare that I I criticise a piece from Colin O'Rourke but I thought it was a little bit boring Conan yeah, and he like he was sort of agreeing with a lot of how things have been run as well. Like you know, so not like you know normally a columnist comes in hot on a Sunday and has a a big thing to say, but he was just towing the line there. I don't think he really had much passion for for this column. For the piece. No, no, yeah. no. And like I halfway think... through, to just changes changes course completely and go straight to Sean Boylan. Like you know, so it was he didn't have a full column in him about what he was talking about initially, and then just went into the into the Sean Boylan speak. Yeah, I would say he was on a down week. There was very little <laughs> material, and he just whacked something out and got it out there, and that was it. And listen, that's allowed. They can't always they can't always be brilliant. You're right. He started talking about the Sean Boylan documentary then, and he says there was a similar documentary about Mick O'Dwyer, which showed the admiration he was held in by his players, the affection that he and Boylan shared is not put on, even if they made hard decisions um, with players, which players were annoyed at and frustrated by. It was a pity a similar documentary was not made about Kevin Heffernan. I completely agree. Can't get enough of these type of documentaries. But to be fair, like, I mean, TG Carter are doing these documentaries for years now, and it's called Lake or Gale, you know? Mm. So this isn't anything unusual. This is just RTE with all their their footage, can't get up off their arses and do something like this. So... Like I mean, that I think that is a it's a sad state of affairs that RT have only done two RT have only done two of these with all the footage that they have and everything that they have and people crying out for them and it just goes to show Connor that TG Cahar are worth their weight in gold. Yeah, they've shown them the way to go. Yeah, and RT RT might be calling on you for a contribution like TG Cahar did for Lake Gale as well. Well, you never know. But as you said, um, the the main yeah. takeaway. 
<laughs> the main takeaway that I got it, I got got from the documentary as well was that actually, funny enough, when you say Kevin Heffernan, um, Sean Boyle mentions Kevin Heffernan at the very start of the documentary, but uh, the main takeaway was just the like I know I know that this is the kind of the purpose of these documentaries, Lake or Gale, and kind of the one done on Sean Boylan was, but like the obvious affection um, that he was held in by anyone who encountered him, and that like re- even reading about him, never mind watching the documentary, that extended to well well kind of beyond the GA pitch but it just you could tell that like the relationship the relationship that all the players all the meat players and this is going back to early you know late 80s early 90s that 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 has extended to well beyond um to, to well beyond when whenever they finish their careers and I'd say that 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 can be rare enough but that Sean was just a Sean Boylan was just such a kind of gregarious character and obviously um was thought so well of by 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 the people that that played under him and anyone that met him that 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 was kind of that was always going to be the case. But uh, no, I just thought it was really enjoyable watch and um, it's uh, it's like Colin Morrock's views on it. Kind of we probably get to it different a lot to Tommy Conlon's in, in the same newspaper on the same page. In fact, yeah. Well, I was glad to read Tommy Conlon's one to be honest with you because I was disappointed with the documentary. I didn't think it really got into anything. I thought there was a, a few good parts, you know, about his father. Um, I thought that I thought that was good. Um, you know, the, I don't know, lads. It got into nothing. It just skimmed. There was too many players interviewed. Poor Tommy Dowd sat there for the whole show and spoke one sentence. You know, like I mean, why did they need to have two players there? They had too many players, if you ask me. Like it didn't. Re- like in fairness, because because usually after these, because everybody loves Sean Boylan and. Um, you know, they really like him. The natural thing to do after, oh, wasn't that great? But was it great, though? What did you actually get out of it? You know, mm. like, I mean, it was just all nice. And that's why Tommy Condon writes a very good piece, as far as I'm concerned. And he said that it was it was the mystery never solved. It came down to one question that fans of the game repeatedly asked during his 23 years in charge of the Royals. How could such a nice man send out such brutish teams? Like, I mean, we've looked at some of their old games in the 80s and that rivalry of Cork, and there was there was brutality in those games. Now, whether to criticise only me, I'm too young to fully understand that era because like they were all at it. There was some terrible tackles going in, but Mead had a very, very fierce reputation, more than any other county um, at that time. And Tommy says, calling it simply Sean suggested that this was going to be a cosy, sentimental affair. He was a famous man in those years, and most people who didn't know him referred to him as Boylan. RT should have took the matter, uh, told the maker of the film, Alan Bradley, to change the title, if only to confer some semblance of editorial professionalism on the production. It's completely right. Whoever calls Sean Boylan Sean, <laughs> like it's not this this isn't Mickle. This yeah. is, he's Sean Boylan, as far as I'm concerned. I never really heard him called Boylan, but he's not one you, you don't recognise Sean Boylan by Sean or Boylan, as far as I'm concerned. He's Sean Boylan, but Sean, to call it Sean, like I mean, it was crazy stuff. Oh yeah, the, the, him dreaming of being a Cistercian monk, that was good stuff as well. Like I mean, but I don't know, Conan. I thought the football stuff and Tommy asking that question about I think it was David Beggy, the players just touched on it, but but Sean Boylan never touched on it, you know, about how they were so dirty or how did that come from, did that come from him? Like, I, I don't think it did come from him, but it would be nice to have had him talk about that. Yeah, and you would have got someone completely, completely new for it as well. Like, I, I agree, when I read Tommy Conlon's piece, I was thinking, like, I know a lot of teams and a lot of managers, like, the managers are very nice and they, they wouldn't condone any of that stuff, but nor would they discourage it either like you know did they see the teams winning and they sort of turn a blind eye to it and i'd say that's more what sean boylan was doing i believe that he he wasn't involved in like getting them to to actively do that stuff and 
Like you, you're right. I, I also think it's like of its time a little bit as well. Me for probably the the big guns, like, and they had that reputation for a reason. But like one of the games we watched, remember Colin O'Neill just hit McLyons a belt in the face, and Lyons just walks and doesn't yeah. react in any way. And you know, so I think I told the story of like Lyons getting excited because Bernard Flynn turned around and hit him in training, and it was like you know Lyons knew that they had to be like that to play football in this era and and win football in this era. But yeah, it would have been. It just would have been nice to have Sean Borden just talk about it. Like, I went into that documentary knowing you knew exactly what you were going to get. I knew I was going to enjoy it as well. Like, you know, I knew it was going to be a trip down memory lane, a nice man who everyone respects and everyone likes, and a, a team that everyone, like, you know, recognises. And it was going to be fun to watch, but, like, didn't learn too much out of it. Not to say that every single piece of documentary has to hold somebody up for every single thing, but it would have been nice to to ask Sean Boyden that, and, and like, I'd say he would have had a, a good, a funny response to, to how you were playing, and he might have been honest about it as well, but he did turn to blind eye. Yeah, yeah, because that, like, I mean, that is a big, I, I, would, I would be very, very reluctant to call the 1996 and 1999 teams dirty. I don't think they were. There was that semi-final against Tyrone, there was that hit by John McDermott and Peter Canavan, and Tommy Connell mentions that. I, I think that's over the top for that team. I think that team played good direct football but I, I do think the 87-88 team, like there was some absolute brutality in their games. Again, though, that was the era at the time. Now, I do think Meade overstepped the mark maybe more than most teams. That's why they got the reputation. But like, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with Tommy's piece. I think it's a good piece. And I think you need pieces like this coming after documentaries when most of the commentary is, oh, wasn't that, you know, wasn't that great. Not to say, Connor, that your opinion on it of it being great is anything wrong with that either. No, when I say when I say I enjoyed it, Willie, I enjoyed it for the same reason that Connor mentioned there is and like it was a good it, like the, the tributes to was obviously a, like an, a legend of the GA, for example. I enjoyed that part of it. Uh, like in terms of what you mentioned there. So like the only thing the only you said David Beggy mentioned it. The only real bit that I saw was Colin O'Rourke say that he doesn't remember once uh, Sean Boylan ever telling, you know, anybody in the dressing room to go out and do this and go out and do that. You know what I mean? But that that was kind of the extent of how the rep Mead's reputation was questioned. There was a couple of clips. That that clip that you mentioned, Conan, was shown as well. The the clip on Colin O'Neill uh, in Cork, and obviously uh, one thing you didn't mention about the '96 team was the was the was the famous brawl against Mayo. But that was that oh, yeah. that was initiated by both teams. Do you know what I mean? Over that was, that was initiated by Mayo, buddy, not both teams. <laughs> right. Okay. Fair enough. Well. Well. Yeah. Okay. Well, it ended up with 29 players involved. So can, whether you can just kind of um, brush over that from Mead's point of view as well, I don't know. But the one thing on that too is I'll say that like so whether you can say that um whether you can say with whether Sean Boylan was responsible you know for or wasn't responsible but how much can you disassociate the antics of a team from their manager as well do you know what I mean so like Sean Boylan mightn't have been telling people in the dress room you know that like to go out and do this and to go out and do that but I like that doesn't mean to me anyway if his team does it that doesn't mean that he's completely you know free of criticism for it either and I think I think Tommy Conlon was dead right to 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 ask that question, especially because when you think of those meat teams, rightly or wrongly, as you said, they're not the only team at it. But there's definitely people do think of their physicality and 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 at times brutality, I suppose. So to think that it only it only merited maybe a couple of minutes of very light discussion in a documentary about Sean Boylan was, I think Tommy Conlon was um, was right to raise it. The only thing he did say was that he suggested maybe that a new Galway team won the All Ireland in 1998, nearly suggesting that you know, the game had to move on and Galway moved it on. And then, but Mead under Sean Boylan won the All-Ireland the following year. 
So they, they were well able to adapt as well. And I think you're right in that that me team were a bit different from from the me team that uh, that went before as well. Yeah, look, there's no there's no doubt that he went in hard on Mead. Like he said things like Mead were demeaning the game. They were dragging it through the mud. You know, like that's a bit over the top. You know, like, I mean, but at the same time, like, I mean, Joe Brawley has a big issue with this piece. We know that him and uh, Tommy Conlon aren't exactly bosom buddies over a piece Tommy wrote uh, before. Um, but at the same time, like, I mean, is there any difference in this than what Joe says about Mayo? And he's no problem saying that. Like, you know, in fairness to Tommy, he said about the Mead players, funnily enough, when you meet the players in person, in general, they couldn't be sounder. By and large, they were affable, yeah, humble, likeable lads. Like, he, he's not he's not completely doing a hashit job on them personally. He's called, and I've heard Colin O'Rourke admitting that these lads would take your life on the pitch. She's like, I mean, Joe Brawley and these lads tell, tell yarns about Bernard Flynn turning around and breaking a lad's nose, and Bernard Flynn tells this story as well, and it's all funny. Isn't it amazing that your own era... Acts of brutality like that, Conan, are hilarious. Yet if they happen in an era that you're not involved in, it's absolutely brutal. You know, these lads, if that was on the street, these lads would be arrested. Yeah, and that's part of the, the magic of Joe Brawley as well, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I always remember Enda Gormley speaking really well about Joe Brawley and Joe Brawley's sort of his golden age thinking, I suppose. Like he's always like talking back about the old eras. Like, and Joe Brawley would write a a funny piece, uh, you know, quicker than anybody else about how Ballandary once beat the shit out of Dungiven down in Ballandary's pitch and, you know, thought this was amazing that people were going off in ambulances and stuff, but and, like, Gormley was talking about, like, you know, anybody who thinks football was better back then when we were all coming off of broken jaws and needs to get their head out of the clouds, like, you know, and it was it was actually very interesting listening and talking about that, but, like, I think again, like, this is why I actually think it would have been fairer for Sean Borden to have been asked because a piece like this then comes out because like I actually would disassociate him from from some of that, but partly because of my experience. Where when I played in Jordanstown under Mickey Moore, who was like the nicest man I've ever met, there are a lot of scumbags. Like, and there's a lot of stuff going on on the pitch that he had nothing to do with. Like, you know, but yeah. you might have got your reputation of a team if we were a more famous team. This is the Jordanstown Freshers. Like, you know, that you might have had that sort of bully boy reputation, and then is Mickey Moore's name dragged into it? He had nothing to do with it. He just didn't say anything about it. Yeah, well, he did. This is the thing, and like I mean, um, he said the piece says Sean would never say. Joe Castle said, and if Sean would never say a bad thing about his players, um, said so, so Joe Castle's in the film. He would defend them to the hilt, regardless of what went on, or if people thought the team went over the top. See, they're admitting it themselves, or if people thought the team went over the top. No, he would never. And Tommy says, this is not quite the compliment that Cassis perhaps thinks it is. Maybe Boylan shouldn't have defended him to the hilt. Maybe he should have drawn the line somewhere. And like the way I look at this is. They're going to, this would be the message back in the 80s. They're going to take your head off. If you stand down from them and let them do it, well, then you're going to be beaten. If they take your head off, you take their head off. You know what I mean? And this is, or else it would be told, you have to stand up for yourselves. And players can, you know, take their own meaning out of that. But I'd have no doubt managers would have said, you have to stand up for yourselves. And maybe Mead had seven or eight players that were more than happy to hear that message and give it back more than they get. They got it. But what do you do? You can't come out and criticise one of your players for going over the top if the other team's going to over the top on you or else you're going to look soft. Do you know? So I don't know. It's definitely a difficult one to analyse. But again, I'll repeat, I thought it was a, a very good piece taken as an, a, an, an angle on it that I didn't see too much of because especially I felt a little bit disappointed when I, re- when I saw the documentary. Um, speaking of Joe Brawley, lads, his piece actually is all blacked out. I want my money back from the Sunday Independent because half the page is just black 
Um, so I couldn't read it. it. He's talking about leaders and captains and stuff. But there's one piece in the right hand side that I thought was hilarious. And I just read it. And it's just this is pure Joe Brawley. It's just Joe Brawley all over. So we need to where we, we, we talk about captains and leaders, et cetera, et cetera. And he talks about different sports and all these kind of things. And it's funnily enough, he he brings in a couple of anecdotes about club football and club hurling in Derry, where lads are being beaten black and blue. And again, this is to prove <laughs> this is to prove the likes of Johnny McGurk and Henry Downey were brilliant leaders when they're beating the heads off. So like this lad, you couldn't make this this fella up like I mean it's brilliant. Um and he says, we see the same, same thing in Stephen Cluxton. He dislikes the media and personal attention. It's a bullshit-free zone, trains harder than his teammates, shies away from speeches and leads only by example. Their breakthrough win in 2011, when he nailed the winning free, he went straight into the changing room and sat alone as the team did their victory laps. The following morning, he was back in school teaching. Well, I can confirm that the following morning, Stephen Cluxton was in a well-known pub, um, <laughs> well-known pub on, what's the name of that street? I don't, I don't even want to say the pub. Anyways, it was, it was a very early morning session with the Dublin players celebrating their first All-Ireland since 95-5, and Stephen Cluxton was with them. So that's not true in any shape or form. So, like, I mean, I think that needs to be confirmed. And I, w- I wouldn't think any less, th- I would have thought less of Stephen Cluxton to be back in work the next morning after that. Not a great leader. <laughs> With the pub in Capel Street, what are you Capel Street, that was it. Capel Street, well-known pub in Capel Street. Uh, that's where they were that morning. Yeah, yeah. So fair play to them for doing that. There's another There's another good piece in the Sunday Inter. We don't have time to get into it now, lads. It's about... Um, uh, it's Dear McCrow writes a good piece and it's a very long piece and the headline is Whistleblower Never Lost His Love of the Game. An incident in Wicklow involving referee Johnny Price got more attention than it probably deserved. Amazingly, Johnny Price was uh, refereeing a game. Um, it was an under 21 B football final between Anna Curra and Blessington. And uh, after the after the match, he, Johnny Price um went back to his car and he opened up his boot to change back in to his clothes and this is an old fable story from Wicklow a lot of people say this happened in a leash match between uh, leash and Wicklow in the championship in 86 when Wicklow the battle of Ockram and Cartage Buckley was put into a boot of a car that never happened with Cartage Buckley it actually did happen with, with uh with Johnny Price terribly, so he he was changing. He lifted up the hatchback door of his boot, and he was pushed into the boot, and the boot closed on him. Like I mean, absolutely unbelievable stuff. Um, it says when Price, an experienced intercounter referee, reached his Finaduno van, he opened up the hatchback door and began uh, changing out his gear. His youngest son David was seated in the front seat when he heard a loud noise, the sound of the car's rear door slamming shut. Um, during the match, Price had sent off a player from Anakura, and while he was changing afterwards, three men approached him and hurled verbal abuse before one forced him inside the car. Some say that because it was a hatchback rather than a conventional boot, the deed wasn't as distressing as it might have been portrayed. The door was um, already open, but it was still a serious assault. It was actually two fellas, the county vice chairman, Lima Lachlan, and Balding Glass secretary, Seamus uh, Kelly, rescued him from his car. He was 44 at the time. Like, I mean, absolutely horrific stuff. Then talks to David Price, which is Johnny's uh, son, about the incident and talks about talks to some other uh, referees as well. We don't have time to get into it. It's so long, lads. It's worth, it's worth reading, though, Conan. Uh, it's brilliant. Sc- scary stuff as well. It actually just made me depressed, you think. Not, not to that extreme, but... You know, the referee and some officials were under pressure being pushed and a steward got hit actually at the Derry final last year. Do you know this is twenty nineteen? And that's going way back when, but that story is obviously like the very the very worst example of it all. 
Yeah, exactly. So going to the, the Sunday Times then, lads, um, Michael Foley has two pieces in it. One is about the finances um, of county boards, and we kind of covered that last Thursday, so I'm not going to get in, into that. Oh, yeah, actually, one part of it I thought was interesting. So the headline of this is GA facing bleak future as financial implications of limits laid bare. Um, the subtitle then is after hopes of crowds easing or dash, the association is left with a gaping black hole. So he is talking to Kerry Treasurer Tom Keane, um, or this is from the Irish Examiner last Wednesday. Uh, Kerry Treasurer says, you'll also have team expenses that you wouldn't have. He's talking about next year, um, how they're going to manage. You'd also have team expenses um, you wouldn't have in pre previous years, such as three team buses for an away game, as opposed to the usual one because of social distancing requirements, or extra hotel rooms to ensure one player per room, as opposed to two per room. Never thought about this, uh, Conan, not even once. Uh, there, there is no chance clubs in an away game, maybe, well, they won't have away games, well, they would have away games within the counties. They must be all driving just individually in cars then. But I suppose an inter-county team, you know, going for a league game, Dublin against Kerry, they'll have to, they, Dublin will have to order three planes now, three charter flights, right? Instead of, <laughs> <laughs> instead of three buses. Well, that'll be okay for Dublin and everybody else. That's the, <laughs> the problem. I was actually thinking about this because we were talking with West Meath uh, on Wednesday that we're talking about, like they, won't be able to, they might not be able to compete next year at county level. And actually it would be, it would make a lot of sense for the GA to really shorten next season's fixtures, like not not for a club thing, not as any part of a big master plan, but just so people can pick off, pick up from where they left off. Really, so they they budgeted for this year and they're playing less games this year. Can they do that next year? Then just fill in whatever they have left over from 2019, and then they can maybe start making money again from the club championships in 2021 and be ready to go in 2022. Because like I didn't even think of that. Like it, it's expensive enough to run teams. But to start doing it under the new regulations and stuff, it's it's going to be carnage. Yeah, no, it definitely is. So he has another piece then, and it's about it says the headline is when the music stops. Um, more must be done to help players struggling to come to terms with the early retirement from the game. So he talks to Colin Begley, he talks to Colin O'Neill, he talks to Tony O'Gregan, and uh, Colin Begley. And it says in the piece last year, Begley helped organise the GPA's first transition programme for players retiring from inter-county Gaelic games um, with thoughts about his own future floating around the back of his mind. When a dozen male and female players gathered for a weekend to tease out the issues, Begley fell in love um, with the group. So like they're talking, Colin Begley says then, he says, identity is a big one, says Begley. What does a player recognise himself as? GA only? Um, people who worked on that earlier in their careers had a smoother transition. People with different interests outside sport, if they have hobbies or family, something to throw their time back into. You see players so so fully invested in playing and training that they have no passion uh, the same as the sport after that. Um, it could be career. Not for everyone. Not everyone is lucky enough to have something they like. So I suppose this trend, transition program at the moment is um, talking not only to players that are finishing up. But they're also talking to players that are only starting out and their advice is, oh, the obvious advice, uh, Connor, is to don't emotionally invest yourself 100% in this and let everything else slide. And I'm talking from my own experience. That's absolutely what I did. Um, so I can completely understand players like that because it's so important to you and it's so big. But, you know, somebody giving me some advice you know, earlier on in my career and saying, you're, you, you know, it's not just something magic that's going to click when you finish. You'll be left 
com- kind of completely out on your own. You'll have you'll have nobody else to help you. You won't you won't be the player you were. So the, nobody will care. <laughs> nobody will care what you're doing. Like that that wasn't really pointed out to me at a young age. It's almost like when you retire, you'll still continue on to be a respected player for the county. You won't. You'll be completely forgotten, and you'll be out on your own. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important that they're starting it early as opposed to just kind of assisting the kind of uh, retirements of, of some players. Like, look at Shane Dowling. Is what Shane, Shane Dowling is twenty-seven now. I know he's had his injury, so he might have known that it was coming. But like, that's that's going to be such a land for him. You know, to just he probably you know you'd think that he'd probably have an intercounty career until he's thirty-three and thirty-four. His whole life is kind of revolved around that, and then boom, it's over at twenty-seven. And you know, and then say Colin O'Neill mentioned the same thing, and I think he he couldn't get over really the that that. Because his career was ended by injury as well, that it was just over and that was that. And it was something we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, I think, with Kieran Sheehan, um, who worked in uh, player welfare in the AFL, and he said that that was um, that that was basically his job was was to, to provide you know to to provide players with kind of advice about uh, throughout their career about what they're going to do when it's over. And there was a line in the piece actually, it like it 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 kind of sounds a bit, little bit cheesy and kind of a lot. Of, you would have heard a lot of it during the maybe the Jim Gavin era, but it's you know, focused on the development of the person first and the player second. But yeah. it is important to men, like, because that means that, like, first of all, you're likely to play better if you've ever done outside of GA sort of while you are playing. And then if, if you focus on your development as a person first, then your, your transition, you know, to post-GA career will be a lot easier when it's all over. But, but as you said, Willie, you'd, you'd know far better. And I'd say there's, there's a lot more in your boat that just their GA career comes to an end and they just... They don't know what to do with themselves. So hopefully this a lot of people take advantage of of this program that, that Colin Begley is talking about. Yeah, and they do a lot of the personal development programs and a lot of people think they're wishy-washy, but there's a lot of there's a lot of players taking advantage of them. Um the GPA was saying um the amount of the amount of players that have taken part in them uh, this year is six hundred and twenty-nine uh players have have were supported through the GPA development program in the first half of twenty twenty. They're fairly big numbers, lads. And whatever critique you have about the GPA, I remember when I was in sixth year and I had a career guidance teacher who was a geography teacher and it was just roped into doing this. He was in a more career guidance now than you know I was and he gave me no career guidance, none whatsoever. And so if players who are obviously distracted by Gaelic games and invest too much time in it, if the GPA are providing some sort of development programme to help these fellas in what career they want to choose and help them have more focus in their lives other than GEA, I can't see why that's criticised, Conan. No, I think it's actually a great thing. I think that's probably the reason why, like, you know, I know the GPA coming for a lot of scrutiny and stuff, but a lot of the past players always have something good to say about them. And, like, not, I don't want to blow smoke up your arse. I never do, Willie, but, like, you're a good example of somebody who's, like, used football and prolonged your career that way. Do you know what I mean? Like, and there's probably not enough of that just yet. I know some people popped up in the in the Sunday game and stuff, but it's it's very fleeting. Like, you know, they come in and then they leave again, and there's not enough people. Maybe that's where the GPA can can become a bit more valuable. Like, you know, can they look at sort of making a career or some part of a career, even part-time or whatever, for these people and prolong their involvement in sport? Because they have so much to offer, not just in the media, but, like, you know, obviously with, with background teams and stuff like that. And something that frightened me a bit as well is Colin Begley, like, made a good point. He's like, you know, it would be nice if some county boards were able to, like, offer a gesture, like, even mm-hmm. something as small as a video for players yeah. who retire. And it yeah. does scare me, you know, when people just, just retired and disappear, and as you say, they're forgotten about because they've probably gone downhill a bit since then. So people don't care as much, and 
it's just like it seems mad that all these players go and it's not really marked unless they make a statement. And then of yeah. course when they make a statement, we sort of make a bit of fun of it. But it should really be the the county board who's celebrating their career and, and thanking them for their service. Well, I think that's a great point, and it was the last point I was going to make about it. Was one point Tony O'Regan said said the removal of all this is players that retired, the removal of all the schedules and structures that shaped the players' life was liberating for some, but not for everybody. And you see, I'm on the kind of side that it was liberating for me, and I can't understand players that would be, you know, distraught when you finish is like get back to it or whatever. But there are players that struggle with it, and I think your point on Colin Begley is a is a is a great one because I one thing that did shock me is how irrelevant you are even to put like I ended up being suspended from my club in Port Leash when I got to an age where like you know I was done they didn't uh, they didn't even allow me to play with the intermediates like imagine that put try and get that into your head after everything you did for the club you know you get to an age and you're just kind of I will sure look let's focus on the younger lads now let him on he's trouble now and I was no different than I was the whole time I, I was I was playing with Leash you're just it's like the idea from supporters would be, oh, well, look, listen, we it'd be more important now worry about the under-21s coming through. You know, this, they don't give it, they don't care less. And better players than me, much better players than me were treated the same. And I think Begley's thing, like imagine if the county board sent me a, a video of all my scores that they could easily source off RT or something, a, a little video that that uh, chap in Kilkenny makes. Like, wouldn't that be a lovely gesture and a little plaque and say, thanks for all the memories or whatever? You would, I wouldn't care if they never spoke to me again. It would at least say, Jesus, they appreciated what I did for them. Mm. But they don't They don't do that. And like, I mean, players are, it's a joke with a lot of players, how you're forgotten about when you finish playing by your club and by, and by your, uh, by your club and by your county. And that is not right. It's definitely, it's definitely not right. And Colin Begley is 100% right on that one. Um, that's it for the um, the Irish Times lads. The other ones I wanted to talk. The other one I wanted to talk about was uh, Pat Spillane in the Sunday World. And Pat, the headline this one is "Egos and Agendas Must Be Set Aside." Tunnel vision of GPA and CPA reminds me of the challenges I faced when ambassador for rural Ireland. So he goes to town on the whole rural Ireland thing. Actually, um, at the start says, I get a sense of deja vu every time I read a statement from either the GPA or the CPA. It brings me back to my days as rural as a rural ambassador for the government. In my innocence, I assumed that everybody involved wanted the same outcome, the betterment of rural Ireland, how wrong I was. Now, you would have kind of thought he'd leave that, you know, comparison aside, but he continues on to talk <laughs> about rural Ireland for maybe the next two or three hundred words, lads, doesn't he? So I'm not going to get into that. And it's like, OK, we get we get the comparison you're making here, Pat. Don't be going to town on it. But then he gets into the into the GPA after a while. And this is the usual. The GPA, by the way, are in big trouble. There's no doubt about that with the structure of their finances. The GEA will be doing well to give them anything next year. The government will be doing well to give them anything next year because they're running a, a budget deficit and it's absolutely scary. So you could be looking at the GPA being down 79% of their funding. So something has to give. And one of the big criticisms I have of the GPA is the salaries. And that's what Pat, Pat talks about that. He says, in terms of salaries, four senior executives cost the organization 449. So he's confirming that it's four. So um, while the remaining six staff members share 293,000, um, 293, these are generous um, salaries by any standards. I have a bigger issue with their extensive list of player programs. At face value, it's a significant list with 19 programs listed, but it's a bit wishy-washy, to put it mildly. Like, what the hell is personal development coaching? Like, I think personal development coaching is like career guidance in 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 
in school, Conan. Have you got that one? Am, am I right on that one, or why is that? I think that one's pretty obvious to me. Is to get you, to a program to try and have players to have more in their lives outside of Gaelic games. Absolutely, and it's it's something that if it wasn't there, then we'd be complaining that something like that wasn't there for the players. You know that we're turning them into to robots and just expecting them to play, and that's it. Like that's that's a very important thing that they that they should have there, and it's an important uh, service that's being offered. So like I don't um yeah I don't I don't get what the problem would be with offering money for that. Yeah, he criticizes the Super 11s tournament, which is an absolute joke at a time when hurling is on life support in many of these counties. Completely agree with that. That's an that's an absolute abomination of uh, of a of a tournament. Um, then he is talking. Then he talks about. He says they have simply sat back and allowed the intercounty bandwagon to career out of control, which has resulted in his members being flogged unmercifully. There's an element of truth to that as well. I think they have. Um, they haven't been strong enough on on restructuring the championship at all. Um, they have come out last Friday. Uh, they drafted a proposal to and sent it to the GEA for consideration. They want to shorten the intercounty season. They want the un, the intercounty season to run from February to the end of July, so twenty three weeks. Um, I wouldn't have any issues with that. Um, they were on the GEA's fixture calendar review task force. Um, they had representation on that. So you'd like to think that that would have been something they were pushing on that rather than release statements, you know, after the fact. Have they come down heavy on which one of the three proposals they're backing that could comfortably fit within those 23 weeks? Do you know what I mean? Like you were on that committee and now you're and now they're releasing like uh, a proposal to shorten the intercounty season when they were already on the committee that was tasked with with changing the intercounty season. Connor, am I am I explaining this well enough? It doesn't seem that to me that just doesn't make sense. No, no, not really. But I, like I, not for the first time with with Pat Spillane's column. I I've, I've just wondered what date in the what day in the week he's wrote it for for the Sunday because he goes on. He doesn't mention the shortened season. I think at all in his column. Um, whereas that was the big news on Friday. Like he talked about the, as you said, the salaries, um, as he called it, the wishy-washy kind of programs that they have to offer and stuff like that. And I was thinking, well, if this is the Sunday world, surely the most topical thing with the with the GPA was the with the proposal, but that that they put forward. But I haven't looked at, in, into it in enough detail. Like in theory, the the idea of the shorter season, especially like now when you're talking about, I think the idea of a split season between club and county is becoming more appealing because the club. You know, when when everyone realizes what it like, what it's like when a club has all of their players available to them at the same time, there's no kind of um, there's no quarrel with with the intercounty players. So the idea of it in theory sounds um, sounds sounds good to me. But like, but that's it. Whether whether that means which side of the the three proposals that are going that are going towards the task force that GPA are going to come down on, um, I, I I don't know. But but again, even the idea of getting excited about um, you know, a shortened season that 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 would be appealing to possibly county players and club players. I was wary of getting my hopes up because, again, this this has to go through a lot of procedure before it's uh, before it's uh, before it's going to be rubber stamped. So I'm not going to get my hopes up just yet. Yeah, he also has a go with the CPA in it and criticizes. He says it's CPA off their heads. Um, he probably has a little. He probably has a bit of a point here as well. CPA saying that the the GE is in crisis when we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, you know. That's definitely a point we've made on the show before. That's it for the Sunday World. The Sunday or the Irish Mail on Sunday has a piece Michael My- or Michael Clifford, um, a whole new ball game. 
In his day job as a TD, Alan Dillon is fighting hard to make his voice heard. While on the pitch, he's playing by different uh, rules. So it's a nice piece with Alan Dillon who talks a little bit about politics and then a little bit about GEA at the end. And because we've gone so over, far over time, we won't be... We won't be um, we won't be going into it, into this. One of the little headlines in it is going into Leinster House is like stepping out of Croker. And I was like, Jesus, well, I've never gone into Leinster House, but surely it couldn't be the same as that. And then I read the actual uh, quote inside it. He said, every day is a privilege when you walk onto, up onto the plinth and you enter Leinster House. It's a huge honour and it's a bit like stepping out of Croke Park, that you're representing your own county, but also, you also know you have to roll up your sleeves. So, like, I mean, he's talking about the honour of representing Mayo in Croke Park and the honour of representing him in Leinster House. So, you know, I, I stopped getting annoyed then about that little small headline uh, in the middle. Um, but that's a good piece as well. So if anybody has a chance. Maybe that goes up online or whatever. I'm not too sure. Right, lads, we've gone way over time. I'm going to leave it there. We will talk to you on Thursday. We'll be back again and we'll do a show um, as usual. So we'll talk to you then. Good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there. So we are and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I let it go.